the fading on the music is so good that you can't tell. Like we start talking beforehand, we could have been having a conversation. This has become our yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mikey. Hey, this is episode uh, nine of Big Screen Auckland. Stop counting. Oh, fuck, you. <laughs> fuck you, Nigel. I'm Corey. Hey, man. Hey, man. This is our World Cinema Showcase special because it's the last weekend we've seen nearly everything. A few to go and a good one tonight, actually, which is a bit of a shame. It can't sneak in. I think we prepped them last week that there was going to be a treat. We were going to interview the director of the World Cinema Showcase and the director of the New Zealand International Film Festival, Bill Gosden. Not that we're an interview podcast by any means. No, I think we've kind of proved that we're not interviewers either today. They, they can judge. <laughs> I wonder how we're going to sneak him in here. We haven't decided if we're yeah. going to play the whole interview. We've recorded him before we did this. He, we had to ring in the afternoon. It's now Saturday night. You'll either have already heard half the interview and me ask him about cold weather or it's coming up in a big block, depending on how we feel when we edit this because we're in charge. One way or another, there's going to be a Bill Gostin interview. And uh, we're not like name droppers. We don't care who he is. It was just an opportunity came up to talk to him. And even if we didn't let you guys listen, I wanted to talk to him anyway. <laughs> so you may as well fucking listen because we recorded it. But yeah, what a fascinating guy. Yeah, I yeah. want his job. Or at least his lackey's jobs. I'm not an interviewer. I've never done this before, but fuck, he was good to interview. Yeah. yeah. He was knowledgeable and quick and just it's a good interview. You just listen to it. Yeah, stop questioning us. <laughs> Why all the doubt? Yeah, fuck, you guys are negative. Yeah. You're our first interviewee, Bill. <laughs> okay, I feel very privileged. Nice. Nice. That's what we want to inspire on in our interview. Man, I need my list of what I've seen at the uh, Cinema Showcase. I suppose we should just uh, dive in and ask you some questions. I'm standing by. Right, we're just going to be nervous and awkward at this for a little while though, so grin and bear it. The nervousness will be edited out, it's fine. Yeah. Okay, and I am grinning. I'm grinning. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, We've seen a whole bunch. Um, Have you been seeing any at the showcase this time around that you've Uh, No, I haven't. I've been pretty much had my head into screening potential films for the International Film Festival in July. I have seen most of the showcase films. There's a, there's a few titles I haven't seen myself. I still haven't seen Rubber, and I haven't seen the Mike Lee film. Oh, you haven't seen Rubber yet, eh? I think I was that conversation. No. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of my colleagues saw that film, and actually Ann Timpson already screened it in the movie marathon late last year, where it we had a lot of good feedback from that screening, but my colleague Michael McDonnell was the one who was responsible for um, putting that one into the program. Yeah, we both caught it at the marathon actually at two in the morning or whenever it was, and it was a, it was a pretty special film then. Nigel watched it uh, the showcase this year. I missed it, but it needs a, a second watch. Is that kind of film? It's it's unique, right. That's for sure. Does it does it grow? <laughs> um, I don't know if I say that. What are your picks, anyway? Have you got anything, what's your favourite that has played? God, that's a hard question. I mean, there's so many films in there that I rate pretty highly. Um, I think a lot of the documentaries are pretty stunning. Yeah. Um, I like the way back, the Peter Weir film, much more than I expected to, but I think that's actually on today in Auckland, isn't it? It might be. We we watched that last weekend as well, actually. I think it's a Saturday afternoon both times, so yeah, Mm, probably at seven. Um, I wanted Um, to ask you about choosing these films. Do you um, you sometimes put ones in that you didn't particularly like yourself, but you think should be in there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not totally dominated by my personal taste. In fact, where you find the kind of personal taste of the program is becomes an issue is when you're looking at films that you think, well, actually, there's probably not a vast number of people who want to see this film out there, but we think it's really good, so we're going to show it. (laughs) 
that's a good attitude. And is the selection process different? Like, what is the difference between the showcase and the the big festival itself? This is like a little brother. Yeah, it's um, yeah. We've been a bit. We've been gender non-specific. We've said little sibling. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there are a lot of women filmmakers represented on the program this year, so maybe brothers the way to go. Um, there's a number of factors. With the International Film Festival, we're always insisting that the films be New Zealand premiere screenings, apart from the obviously designated retrospectives. Yeah. Everything we show in the International Festival is having its first ever New Zealand screening. So um, when we presented there, nobody in New Zealand should have had the opportunity to see it before that point in a public screening situation. Right. Um, it's different with the showcase. We're not as strict about that. So it does give us the opportunity to put a spotlight on films like Rubber, for example, which have already had their premieres. But, you know, under, I mean, there are certain limitations about the number of people who are going to see a film in the context of the movie marathon. Um, and you say it's going to 2 o'clock in the morning, so there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I mean, we can also use the showcase to bring back movies that were in the festival but haven't been brought back on general release. And there are several of those this year. There's Uncle Boonie, the Can Palm Door winner, yep. which landed at the Auckland leg of the film festival well after the festival was actually over last year. We just couldn't tie that film down in time to include it in the actual film festival, so it screened as a special screening a couple of weeks after the festival was over. Yeah, uh, Bill Cunningham, New York, which was a film which we were turning people away from oh. at the film festival. And Wasteland, which is actually a film that we had an enormous amount of faith in, and it never really fired at the film festival, but we just thought we'd give it another go because it's a film we everybody at the, the festival like that film a great deal and then it got the Oscar nomination so that gave it you know a bit more credibility with people who um, stood store by, the, by such such nominations um, right. uh, so it seemed like a good idea to um, bring it back and just hope that it might fire a bit better than it did in the International Film Festival last year mm-hmm. there's quite a few films there that we really went for for the International last year and we couldn't pin them down in time the most obvious ones are Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which we really seriously wanted for Incredibly Strange last year. Right. And also Of Gods and Men, which won the Grand Prix at Cannes, which is you know, generally considered the runner-up um, <laughs> position at, at the Cannes Film Festival. My colleague Sandra, who goes to Cannes, was very excited about that film when she saw it there, and we, we tried very hard to get it, but the, the rights were still up and it was ultimately ultimately acquired internationally by Sony, and there's a very good chance that that film's going to go direct to DVD in New Zealand, um, and it'll be before this year's film festival. So the showcase seems like the perfect opportunity to give it the big screen airing that it most richly deserves. Nice. You you just mentioned that your colleague Sandra gets to go to Cannes. Um, how do you not get that gig, or are you too busy going to every other film fest? How do you how do you select these um, films? At, at full stop, actually. Yeah, she probably has the best job. Um, <laughs> she li- she does live in Paris, so that oh, puts girl. her much more at the centre of things than we are down here in Wellington. There's far too much for me to do here, unfortunately. Um, the way the offices 
said, up, I, I really need to be here, unfortunately, so I can't be jostling my way into all of those uh, competition screens that can. Apparently it takes a bit of practice to do that. Sandra's had plenty, so she has a pretty good strike rate on our behalf, really. She also goes to uh, Berlin and Rotterdam, and I can't say I feel at all peeved about that because they happen right in the middle of the uh, New Zealand summer and the European winter, and uh, I'm not that interested in um, freezing in <laughs> Rotterdam when I could be at the beach here. Right. You've got you to gotta have some summer. So you, you stay here and have all the films come to you. That sounds. That still sounds like uh, a pretty I, good gig. I go to the um, Toronto Film Festival every year. I've been going to the oh, New York Film Festival, which is immediately after Toronto. That's enormously useful, more for the kind of networking side of things than anything else these days, because everything moves so quickly these days. Say, you know, 20 years ago, if you went to Toronto and New York, the lag between those films premiering in North America in September and then being seen in New Zealand the following July didn't bother anybody. But as you know, um, people are really kind of gagging for films um, two seconds <laughs> after the cast has been announced these days. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but um, it's a fact of life. Yeah, it is. Although some of them, I mean, um, they're, they're making it pretty fast when you guys are in charge, I've got to say. Yeah, well, we do our best. We put a lot of energy into it. Well, sometimes, for you know certain audiences, we may even be a little bit too fast. Uh, certainly not for the you know the younger audience, but the older audience, who are you know very much uh, key supporters of the film festival, can be calling us in um, you know October saying when can we see such and such a film that their friends in London just told them about, and we say well actually we know we showed it July last year. <laughs> <laughs> They need to have their iPad apps updated if they're going to... Uh... Well, they, they, I guess a lot of people still are caught in that um, trap of needing to see the um, international endorsement before <laughs> they'll, believe, they'll believe it from any New Zealander who tells them that um, something's a, a, a great film. He said bitterly. <laughs> so, um, does the, the World Cinema Showcase, obviously, it's, it's now, it's been in Auckland for a fortnight, it's just coming to Wellington, and it's, is it going to Christchurch or not? I can't recall. No, it's not. The quake actually happened two days before we were due to go to print, and it was immediately clear that the Rialto had been hit very badly. And then, of course, you know, in the week that followed, it became clear to most of us, I think, just um, what a catastrophe that quake had been. And uh, it seemed highly unlikely that uh, we'd be in a position to get it all together in an alternative venue while all those prints were still here. But we are, we're pretty certain that the International Film Festival will make it to Christchurch um, in, its, you know, in its fuller version as it would have gone there under uh, circumstances. So that's good. That's good to hear. Mm. Yeah, the showcase does go to Dunedin. Oh, that's right. With the Auckland one, this year it's at Sky City. What brought the change? Yeah, well, that was another thing that happened very close to um, our going to print. We found out from John Davies at the Academy Theatre, which has been the home showcase for I think the last five or six years mm. that the roadworks in Lawn Street had already caused quite a lot of disruption during the French Film Festival that we'd been aware of, we'd heard about it, right. um, but those would be continuing right through the showcase period and uh, we saw that there was, I mean we were going to be having to 
lot of screenings. So with John's uh, reluctant blessing, um, we very quickly found another venue at Sky City Theatre. Right, right. Sky City Theatre, I think, technically is um, can present the films superbly well. So it definitely uh, had its upside. But I think the change um, has definitely cost us a bit. I mean, we're enormously grateful to Sky City Theatre that they could accommodate us. But um, it's just not on a lot of Aucklanders map of Auckland cinemas, so I think we've, we've missed out on uh, quite a few people who might have actually uh, attended if it had been at the Academy as planned. Yeah, actually, I wanted to, uh, slightly trickier territory, but I wanted to ask you about the, uh, like you said earlier, that you were turning people away from certain screenings at the New Zealand International Film Festival. Um, yeah. This one uh, hasn't been like that. No, no, it's been very quiet. No, it's, been, it's been pretty disappointing. We've, we've started very strong in Wellington the last couple of days. So we think, you know, a lot of the problems have been to do with this very sudden shift in venue in Auckland and going into a venue that's not on most Auckland moviegoers map of, of, of you know, their movie yeah. options. Right, right. It's only, the Sky City Theatre works for us extremely well during the film festival. I mean, we had many sold out sessions there. So, you know, we approached that alternative very optimistically, but, you know, had, had, it hadn't been as successful as it might have been, there's no doubt about it. Would there also be, I don't know if this is cheeky or not, but the, uh, advertising wise, the New Zealand International gets uh, a lot of advertising and it's everyone in, in Auckland knows what's going on, at least I only mean, know Auckland. Uh, the yeah, showcase, yeah, not yeah. so much? No, that's right. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that. What we were looking at was a much smaller event in a 200-seat venue at the Academy. Mm. And, I mean, I won't go into all of the details, but the showcase has traditionally been a partnership between the cinema operator and our organisation, whereas with the International Film Festival, it's all us. Like, we rent the venues and we do everything. Uh With the showcase, it's always been a venture with the cinema operator. So when we faced the fact that it wasn't going to work for us in the academy this year, we had to put together a very quick ad hoc arrangement with Sky City Theatre, and right. we weren't in a position to ask them to carry all of the kind of publicity obligations that the cinema operator had. We found a small budget of our own to do what we could, but you know we couldn't blanket Auckland with publicity the way we can do with the International Film Festival. Um, yeah, I think those does, in the know... Does that explain the situation? Yeah. No, that was a good answer. Good answer. I mean, those yeah. in the know, we know a few film geeks, they all managed to find a brochure and select a couple. And the Five Plus, which is uh, almost similar to the same one that went down with the Film Fest last year, works well. I yeah. think people can sort of plan their you know, five screenings or ten books, whatever yeah. the case may be. I mean, we print with the International Film Festival, I think we print about 60,000 brochures in Auckland. And it's nowhere near that with the showcase. But the whole thing is designed to be run in a 200-seat cinema and suddenly found itself in a 700-seat um, <laughs> cinema without a serious marketing budget. Right. Uh, two personal questions for you. Not so much about the business side of things. Did you see Cold Weather this year as a screener? Yeah, I saw that film at the Vancouver Film Festival last year. Oh, nice. And your thoughts on it? Yeah, I quite like that film, actually. It's a sort of departure from a... I don't know, have you seen um, the Andrew Bujowski films that we've shown on the film festival? No, I've heard all about them. Uh, Mutual Appreciation and um, a film last year, I can't remember what it was called. Yes, a film which we had quite a lot of complaints about, Beeswax. Right. 
right. a lot of people didn't get that film. Um, <laughs> I more felt that. that it had been misrepresented in the um, film festival program. But, I mean, I think that Aaron Katz works in a very similar area of, you know, kind of close, kind of sardonic observation of, of people behaving slightly badly. You know, usually people in their late 20s, early 30s, kind of college-educated, sort of slightly bohemian types. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a little bit of that kind of filmmaking happened in New Zealand, too, particularly in Wellington with uh, Campbell Walker and Eric Kane and his colleague Alex. Uh, I don't know if uh, those films always had much more of an audience in Wellington than they ever did in Auckland. But the thing about Aaron Katz with Cold Weather is that he's taken that kind of observational view of people doing not very much, but kind of revealing quite a lot about themselves in the process, and added this kind of detective plot. And I thought it was a, I don't, you know, it was never going to be a film that was going to make the Mumblecore movies massive. Nothing's ever going to do that. But it was a way of putting some kind of fresh energy into that style of filmmaking, which I personally kind of liked. Yeah, yeah, it was my fave so far, easily. Oh, that's good to hear. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about before when we, that's where a degree of personal taste is obviously coming into play. Because it's not a film you would ever program in order to be popular. <laughs> Particularly having heard the kind of responses we got to Beeswax. People are often quite abusive about that film, which I think is that's not really called for. Wow, I didn't know that yeah. things like that happened. Yeah, you know, it's very easy for people to sit down and send an email and say, I just, you know, wasted $80 or $15 or however much they felt they wasted. Wow. Um, sometimes sometimes they even mention how much they felt they wasted, you know, parking the car and, um, <laughs> and you know, you guys need your head reds. What do you think we need your head reds? <laughs> I can write you a template response for those people if you want, and you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm quite capable of doing that for myself, thank you. I just, I just never press send. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. I suppose you've got to keep them happy whilst ignoring their retarded complaints. That's not a bad plan. Uh, the second cheeky question, actually, if I can ask you, tell us something to look forward to coming in the Film Fest for our listeners uh, a month or two early. Uh, yeah, no, we can't really do that. My publicists will. Um, be very, very annoyed if I start announcing titles at this point. Uh, um, we do have some pretty tasty announcements to make, and we'll be making a few announcements in the next newsletter, which will be going out at the end of April to all of those people who have gone to our website joined up for our newsletter. So there will be some announcements to be made quite soon. April, I'll do it. Not tonight, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with trying. Exactly, I don't blame you, and I'm glad you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I really want to do is say Takashi Miike's 13 Assassins and, and have you cough or not. But, uh... <laughs> oh, hey, there's another one I haven't seen. Oh, right, all right. Well, yeah. there's, always, there's always July. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I think that'll probably um, wrap it up, actually, Bill. That's Okay, well, um, it's been fun. <laughs> well worth the wait. Oh, excellent, excellent. I don't know if you've ever listened to our podcast or not. We've only been going for, this will be episode nine, actually. We just started it because, um, I mean, we're, we're two mates that love film. And I suppose the majority of our friends, you know, we, we try our hardest to broaden the horizons and mention things like the film fest coming out and stuff. But they've got the same blocks that most people have. Can't get past the subtitled film. Um, if there's not a $100 million marketing campaign behind it, they find themselves not able to hand over their Xbox card. So the majority yeah. of this, what this pod is about is letting people know what's on, and there's more to film than just um, I am well, on the film. Yeah, good on you. I don't know why it's 
can be such a problem here. You know, I travel to, well, Vancouver's a case in point, or, or Melbourne too, you know. Vancouver probably has more in common with Auckland than Melbourne does in many ways. And I see massive audiences for subtitled films in most places. And I wonder what it is in the water here that uh, sets up such resistance. Yeah, it's bizarre. Anyway, we're doing our bit for you, so... <laughs> we'll keep shouting Sorry. on the rooftops. Okay, good on you. Well, thanks for uh, okay. passing the joint yeah. up for a bit. And I look forward to meeting you in Auckland um, during the International Film Festival, because I'll be there for the duration. It's a deal. Yeah, that's a shoe-in, absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. Cool, man. I've now seen seven of the Cinema Showcase with an eighth tonight. How many have you caught? Oh, fuck. Top of your head, bro. Right? Top of your head. Eighteen, I think. Eighteen. See, that's impressive. That's that's a big number. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you're impressed with me. We're just going to boast about it. Episode eight, we wrapped up with we were like we'd just seen the art of the steel and catfish. Yeah, we were running out. We were we're seeing way back in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So let's pick up exactly where we left off last week. All right. Well, we just <laughs> this week you're going to hear about the cinema showcase film. Uh, actually, these are all cinema showcase films. The way back, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, Armadillo, Cold Weather, and Restrepo. And I saw a, a sneaky preview of Source Code, the new Duncan Jones fucking awesome film. And Nigel... I saw the Frankenstein play but Danny Boyle, the filmed play. Uh, I saw the first version of that. And uh, Oceans. Oh, yeah, I forgot you went the, to that. The Disney nature film. Yeah, Disney. Yeah. I saw a bunch. I saw nine this week by myself. Um, but I won't bore you with all of oh, them. Show off, why don't you? <laughs> Tell everybody. I saw nine. Come on, you were impressed two minutes ago. I'm a fickle beast. Let's do the way back because we'll probably get it out of the way... Like, I enjoyed it. It was, um, here's a super fast synopsis, Sci, see? Colin Farrell walked across the desert. Colin Farrell didn't even make it to the desert, <laughs> for starters, and it wasn't Colin Firth. I don't know where you got that idea from. It was, Fuck off. Okay, that might have been me. I was wondering what the king was doing, stuttering his way across Russia. But it's it's post-World War II. Stalin's been a prick. The Germans are being pricks. They're throwing all these Russians and Jews and anyone, foreigners and so forth, into these Siberian prisons. And we follow half a dozen people as they make their escape. Based on true story, three of them eventually make it to India. It's 4,000 miles. It took him a long time. And that was the gist of the film. But it was it was broken up into parts. Naturally, a rogue film would be like the prison. Then the bulk of them escaping through Russia and in the snow. And then it sort of changes when they cross the Russian-Mongolian border. They're freer. They no longer have to hide from the guards. But now, like, the weather and their lack of food and their lack of water is against them. I like that little twist, like... We're in Russia. No, now we're escaping. No, now we're surviving. Like that, I felt they had a natural progression. I enjoyed that film. Nigel? No, I didn't. Not at all? You got <laughs> nothing out of it? Absolutely nothing. You didn't enjoy the woodsmanship? No, no, I, I, I often don't. No? No. Um, yeah, a lot of, it's just a lot of walking. I didn't, I didn't see the... Um... What about the first 20 minutes then? What about all that prison stuff? I like really good characterizations and stuff. I didn't think there was anything. Ed Harris was the cantankerous old American... Jim Sturgis was the fresh-faced young fella who was, I suppose, the leader of the crew. Definitely. Yeah, no one had any any standout personality. It's more about the story and how they survive. So everyone was sort of stripped of their personality. And I go for personality, so I found it fucking boring. Yeah, I'm with you there. Nobody had any personality. They tried to, like, um, oh, he's an artist, you know, and so they spend a minute on that, but only a minute. Like, they could have been a lot more. Had to cover so many things off. Well, so many things and also nothing. They were just walking. No, the the only they took one stab at it because they had um, cast Colin Farrell as a, like a Russian criminal, and he's all like Russian accent, not very good English. Tattooed uh, up the shit. Yeah, good and he knife. was he was a dodgy one. Everyone was scared of. I quite like that just because it was something for me to. I was like, oh, I've never seen him do this before. You know, 
like Brad Pitt playing a boxer in Snatch sort of thing. You're just like, wow, that's different for him. Mm. I got that out of it, but it wasn't worth my... There's nothing wrong with the film at all. It's just, here's a film about all your least favourite things, Nigel. Why did I go? It was all my favourite things. Yeah. There was some history, there was some war, there was a bit of Russia, um, there was woodcraft, bushcraft, survival techniques, it was... I love those mask things they had when they chipped out. Yeah, that was awesome. What was it? Just like a piece of... Yeah, they took some bark and cut like ice slits. They ended up looking like old metal armour faceplates, but they were like snow shades or something. Yeah, he was very clever, that boy. Walking south using... You know how they do it? You look at what side the moss grows on a tree. Like if you've got a round tree, like in the southern hemisphere, moss will grow on the south because the sun's most of the time in the north and it's like all dark and shady on the south side of the tree so you can tell what way north is by looking at what side of the tree's got the moss on it yeah. they mentioned that at one stage he's like we're walking around in circles he's using moss to find his way this guy doesn't know jack shit no he got him to india he knew what he was talking about bushcraft bro it's where it's at rue would understand he's down with that scene <laughs> right. that was good for a, a walking film yeah a, a, a war history road movie um, and saoirse ronan was in it as um well they all isn't colin farrell irish Saoirse Ronan's maybe Irish, and Jim Sturgis is maybe Irish? Was it a bunch of Irish people playing Russians and Poles? Yeah, I think so. Odd. Um, the Saoirse Ronan was in it too, and I am uh, I think I'm about to be a big fan of hers from that Hannah movie that's coming up, where mm. she's the child assassin. Yeah. Uh, she's the Lovely Bones chick, which I didn't see, but I'm going to love Hannah. So. I read that book, actually. It was a good book, Lovely Bones. Oh. I think everyone agrees with that, though. Stay tuned for Corey's next novel recommendation. <laughs> um, okay, I've had enough of the way back. Let's move on like they did. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. That now was... that, I had something to cling on to there. I had all sorts to cling on to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, um, I don't go for horror films because of the fright factor, but there's a sub-sub-genre of like horror comedy gore, like your severance and your, the signal and... Black Sheep? What was that? Terrible British one? Doghouse. Yeah, not Doghouse. That was terrible. But um, That's the well, same genre. Like, yeah, comedy horror. Comedy horror is not a huge genre, though. Like, Shaun of the Dead is the granddaddy. But there was no real gore scenes in that, was there? Yeah, I think so. There was? Like what? Like, you know, running over zombies and stuff. There was lots of blood in there. You got red on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this one's like... Um, like, they take the... Gross... I don't think that makes a different genre, though. <laughs> It's it's exactly the same as Shaun of the Dead, except it had a little bit more blood. Okay, yeah, true that. Either way, I enjoyed Shaun of the Dead, so yeah, it, it fits yeah, into my Yeah, but what else is there? This. I suppose like Evil Dead and stuff. Evil Dead would fit into those, but yeah, comedy horror is not huge. Yeah, but it's so fucking easy to get wrong. Oh yeah, it's easy to get wrong. I don't like horror. I don't like comedy. <laughs> but comedy horror gore, I can handle. And this was a piss take of the Teen in the Woods. This was fucking awesome, actually. Give a give a brief synopsis, bro. Yeah, so it's a parody of the, um... Oh, fuck, I wish I hadn't said that. I hate the word parody. Yeah, I'm with you on there. What parody. did you say? Uh, it was a piss take. Piss take. Mm. It's, um... It was riff. It parody. It was a riff on that. Yeah, basically, uh, it's two guys go out into the woods to fix up a cabin. A bunch of American teens, stereotypical American teens, come out and then think that they're, like, horror villains, like the, the hillbillies who are out to kill them. And so they try and fight back, but they're actually just sort of killing themselves and stuff. Yeah, and, and, and the two hicks are wonderful people. And that way you can get lines like, what are we going to tell the policeman that a bunch of color kids started killing themselves all over my property? Like, they're not going to believe us. <laughs> it was really entertaining. I had the dude, Tucker and Dale, the names of the rednecks versus evils, you know, give it all away there. But yeah, it was good. The deaths were imaginative uh, enough for me. I didn't need to see reverse bear traps. Well, not imaginative, sorry, but fun. The entertainment effect was through the roof, I suppose is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Agreed. Because I am a death fan, I'm a, a fan of inventive kills. Like, I, I could have used more there because, like, you know, the first kid gets impaled on a stick, the second kid gets impaled on a stick, and you're like, well, 
you could have done plenty of stuff. Like they tried so hard with the with the jokes, and the main two were so good. Like I would liked a bit more. I was a huge fan of Tucker and Dale, the characters. They were fucking brilliant. Yeah. The movie itself was um, was good in, in parts. It was always fine. It, I mean, it's no Shaun of the Dead, though, to me, which is hugely funny and bloody and well-written the entire runtime. Yeah. This mm. one had... I saw it twice. I don't know if that makes a difference. Like, you could see the, the dull patches. I think it does. I think you should never watch a film like this twice. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead, though, is infinitely rewatchable, so... Yeah. I still think they're quite different, though. I, I, yeah. I don't want to lump Shaun of the Dead in with this one. I want to lump this in with Severance and the right. Signal. Yeah, I would put all of those in the same way. Either way, a perfect film for like 10 o'clock. I always wonder who they bring these out for, these films that they sneak into film fest and stuff like that. At least the film fest has got its own section. But most people think of a film festival as like um, deep, arty, some docos, a couple of foreign films, and then there's this one for teens, like aimed at 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds, <laughs> that never see them. But you can always get one at a, at a good fest. There's always one to take a group of people on. I suppose because like midnight movie fans, you know, cult cinema fans and stuff like that, they don't. I mean, they're not really catered to throughout the year, except for the odd, you know, machete or something. Yeah. Or movie marathon. So I suppose a film fest job then is to. I know what you mean. Like people would think, oh, film fest snob, mm. subtitles. But no, actually, no, no, it's no, catering to yeah. all film fans, filling a lot of gaps, and that's, that's one of the midnight movies is sort of one of those. See, this is a film that could have like. If it got on a DVD and was shared virally amongst a university like group of flats, it would do well. Everybody would talk about it and have mm. a scene. But no one in a group of universities is going to like, hey guys, let's sit down and pour through the film fest brochure in case there's one of these, uh, yeah. you know? It always strikes me as, I, I, <laughs> I enjoy that they come out. I go and see them. They're always late at night. Timson knows how to program them. This one here came out at quarter past ten on a Saturday night and then again on a Friday night or whatever it was, so that it worked out. It was easy to see and it had a good time slot. Even Nate Dog managed to sneak off work and go and see it. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a good film, though. I enjoyed it. It's, yeah, um, and I'm hoping for big things from um, the guy who played Dale, Tyler Labine or something his name is. He was, I thought he was amazing. It's hard to have a really amazing performance in something in a genre like comedy horror. I mean, you're not going along for amazing performances. Mm. But somehow, yeah, he was he was fucking brilliant to watch. So I'm hoping he does some cool shit. He's mainly a TV actor. Like, I looked at his IMDb page and he's done heaps of TV shows. I suppose there's a difference, actually, between a good film and a bad film. They're all going to have the deaths. They're all going to have the jokes. Yeah. But not many of them have Tucker and Dale to carry it or Sean and, and Nick to carry it. You know, it's... Um, yeah. Sean, sorry, Simon and Nick. Mm. Use their real names or their characters' names. Don't mix them up. <laughs> Ed. Ed. Was that the other guy's name? So Tucker and Dale, I reckon that could be a good one on DVD. Like if that got a release and, and people heard about it, it's still got a chance to go, not viral, but like sneak some way into the cult section. Yeah, and I think comedy horrors do get a bit of a following and this is one of the better comedy horrors I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. On a more serious note, mm. um, two war films... Armadillo and Restrepo. Restrepo got a nod of the Academies, picked up to be best doco. Lost to Matt Damon. Lost to Matt Damon. What was he in the doco for? Oh, the inside job or man, whatever it was. Inside man's Denzel Washington? Yeah, and uh, the other guy, the British dude, with a long trench coat, always. Croupier. Clive. Yeah. I never saw it. That was a good film, actually. Armadillo is Dutch peacekeepers fighting in the north of Afghanistan, winning over the populace or whatever it is, and... Both things follow like a year worth or six months worth of a squad of young dudes going to Afghanistan for the first time, all scared, all pumped up, too much action. So Armadillo is the Dutch one, filmed beautifully and with deep sentiments, what have you. 
Restrepo is the hard-hitting, fast-paced uh, American one. Same group of dudes, but instead of going to like a well-planned base in the middle of a large, flat area where they're all very safe, these dudes like rock up to the very edge of Afghanistan and go and fight in a mountain valley with enemies on all sides, pinned down, fired at daily. Like one's not better than the other. Well, you ask me why it was a little bit better, but um, worlds apart for the same thing. Yeah, it was. You think I'm going to see two two war documentaries, and you don't see many of those. They come out sort of the same time. One's Dutch, one's American. Other than that, they should kind of be the same. Yeah. They're really fucking different. Not saying like the soldiers weren't like I'm not. I'm not having a commentary on American soldiers. They were all gung-ho and the Dutch were all polite. The soldiers were very much similar. But they had, the, way, the circumstances were so different. Because you can even say both of them were, uh, we follow a small team of dudes as they go into Afghanistan and yeah. fight. Yeah. But even that, so misleading because they're so different. Because the Dutch one was peaceful when you're talking to the, the team and they had an encounter, a small encounter. Yeah, they had one firefight and they were all yahooing and, and so forth. And it was quite a different quarter of an hour in that part of the film where they have an encounter about them being all pumped up and energetic and adrenaline running through their bodies and so forth. Yeah. Which was good. The Americans are having this engagement daily. Yeah. The entire time they're pumped Seven up. Seven times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Stuck on a crop and uh, stuck on our rock. And, and the crew, the camera crew goes like with them. Like when bullets start flying, what you see as the audience is the camera like rushing to the dirt. Like, that dude's dropping as fast as he can. Yeah. yeah he's ducking and rolling, or whatever you call it. Both of them had footage of dead Afghanis. Um, both of them, like, sort of went on about how hard it is to fight a war when the other guy's not in uniform and how the local population are sheltering them somewhat or hesitant to help. The futility of it all, but I think you get that in most war docos. Oh, Action packed, though. Uh, Restrepo, named after a dude that died right at the start. You can see why I got picked up for... Oh, they're both named after their bases, weren't they? Because they were yeah, in Restrepo, yeah, yeah. they were in Armadillo. But they, they were just so different movies because... And it's very, quite easy to say Restrepo was by far the better one. That's why it got the Academy nod. Yeah. Armadillo didn't. But it's just that Restrepo had so much foot... Like, it didn't contemplate things as much as Armadillo because they had so much awesome footage. Mm. It's just you're in the middle of this fucking... The most dangerous place in the world. Yeah, like if... Fucking exciting. Both docos, the cameras rolled 90% of the time in the base... And 10% on, um, like, go, let's go on a, what do they call it? A ricky or a sortie or something? Where you They actually yeah. call it something better than that, I can't remember. <laughs> Damn, I can't remember the word. Anyway. It's not just patrol. Yeah, patrol. That's oh, what I was talking about. Yeah, so, so both of them, 90% of it's filmed at the base. I don't other, think that's better than ricky. Ah, uh, yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> All right. Reconnoiter. Really? <laughs> I think that's what it actually is, yeah. <laughs> Can you go reconnoiter those rocks over there? Yeah, totally. And in that 10% that they go on patrol, you expect a bit of fighting. However, Restrepo was so good because the 90% of it filmed in the base was also all fighting. Like, every 20 seconds, someone's firing a machine gun over a wall or ducking or there's bullets exploding or someone's getting shot in the neck. Or, it had um, footage of them working. They were, like, digging and, and making sandbags and, and stuff. Yeah. But they'd dig, 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 and then they're getting fired at. And so they would drop their shovels, grab fucking massive machine guns and just go at it. Massive machine guns. Until, you know, until it sort of dies down a bit and then put their guns down and start digging again. It's just like part of the day. Yeah. Like, oh, it's 11? Okay, let's have a firefight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the fuck, exactly. man? Yeah, it was good, though, because like, it wasn't quite time-lapse. They showed it, they explained it. There's a base to the bottom of the valley with the enemy all around them. This is in Restrepo. Enemy all around them, firing down them, like, daily. And they got a new captain. The old captain was a prick. The locals hated him. He detained a bunch of dudes and, and they sent in a new guy who's got like one mission, make this base safer. Mm. And his plan to make that base safer is to make a smaller base on a hilltop that can cover the big base. So he sends up a half dozen or a dozen dudes with pickaxes and shovels. They climb the mountain in the middle of the night 
and dig out just enough so they can lie flat and have a breather without getting shot. They take the hole they dig, fill sandbags, and next thing they've got like a foot deep hole and a foot high sandbag. They've got a two foot gap and they can have a breather and a bottle of water. Then they dig down another two feet, the sandbags got like four feet and now they can stand up. And it's like, yeah, then next thing you know, they've got fucking showers up there and um, yeah, radical, radical. Showing these dudes under some intense uh, stress. The difference, you raised it beautifully the other day, like they went through a, a recap at the end of Armadillo, the Dutch one. And it was like, oh, Private Johansson's going back to Afghanistan. Private Kim is going to go back to Afghanistan. Private Maida is going to try and go back to Afghanistan. At the end of Restrepo, it didn't cover that because the soldiers were too busy high-fiving, shouting things like, we ain't ever coming fucking back here. <laughs> that was uh, that was really well done at the very end there. Like, woo, we're out of here forever. Because in Armadillo, like, we spent a lot of time with the boys. There was a lot more time for reflection and stuff. Mm. And then when they went out, had their little tussle, they were all high from that, just like, holy shit, we just had our first encounter and we fucking won. When can we do this again? And so it was It was more about that, whereas it was non-stop in Restrepo. Yeah, when, they, when their marriage finished, they weren't walking home going, oh, we just had an encounter, how do we get more of that? They were like, touch themselves, check for bullet holes, high-five, <laughs> and they were still alive. Let's quick have a memorial for the dudes that lost a dozen guys on the other side of that hill. And, um, oh, it's go-home time? Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were out of there. They were gone skis. It sounds like we're, we're saying why Restrepo is so much fucking better than Armadillo. No. It was sort of unfair seeing the two of them together because when I saw Armadillo, I was like, that was really good and really exciting and, you know, thought-provoking and everything. It's only when you see Restrepo a week later that it seems like the excitement in Restrepo is much higher. Yeah. But Armadillo itself was a really, really cool film as well. And it, the thing it had was some of the boys rang back home or something to tell, oh, holy shit, we just had our first thing and we, we grenaded these dudes and they were all lying around moaning. We just went and fucking slaughtered them all. We liquidated them with extreme prejudice. Like, yeah. <laughs> And then, like, an inquiry has begun. And I've, I've read on Twitch, actually, that the whole film, once the film was released, it started a proper inquiry because, like, when people were like, wait, so these guys were wounded and rather than help them, you, you fucking slaughtered them? Hey, what the fuck? Like, is this how the Dutch roll? I know, I thought that was real fascinating. Like, yeah, like, you killed these guys and they were on a high just going, yes, we fucking did it, we fucking did it. We just wasted those guys. And then everyone was like, whoa. Hang on, you just wasted them? Really? Yeah, it was very much more contemplative than the other. Um, they didn't have time for that American. It was too busy, like... It was free-for-all. Yeah, every five minutes, they were just totally glad to be alive. The, yeah. the Dutch one did have a lot of, do you miss your folks, and, and a lot of it, more airport scenes and stuff like that, whereas the, the Yankee one was too busy going. Most and I think it was different. Like, the Yanks were probably always going to be the harder part of the war. Like, they knew they were being sent to. Like, they had comments like, Oh, you find out you're going to get posted to this valley and everyone's like, oh, mate, good luck and fucking... Yeah. The Dutch never got that. But I would like to read up further about like what happens with this inquiry into the Dutch dudes because... Um... I'll tell you now, bro, they got cleared. Oh, they did? Yeah. Because I also read that, that it that triggered an ambush mm. back home. But it wasn't like... The docker got shown and then someone like, to explain it in New Zealand terms, some hippie from the Green Party was all, this is disgusting and I think we should have inquired. Then they didn't inquire and the government came back and went, no, it's fine. Fucking hippie. Oh, okay. They're there to kill them. But I mean, because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about war, because I'm a little pussy boy, they... I was more like, of course they killed them. They threw a grenade in. They're fighting. Everyone's trying to kill each other. You throw a grenade in. They're pretty much fucked, but they're still alive. Of course, yeah. To me, it was like, yeah, so they ran in and shot them all dead. You're like, yep, of course. Then for someone to go, whoa, 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 who, who told their mum that that happened? Like, well, that's still, you keep that to yourself thing. I was like, oh, yeah. I think well, somewhere in the Geneva Convention it says you're not allowed to mow down wounded dudes. Mm. Like, that's tantamount to surrender. Oh when you're full of holes lying there <laughs> bleeding, you take it as surrendered. Uh-huh.
Yeah, that's war. That's war. But you know, I haven't seen a war ducker. Um, I don't think ever. I saw a road to Guantanamo. That wasn't a war ducker. Like this was in your face. If you if you had a thing for weapons. Or, um, and actually here's a part I didn't like, and this is probably, dudes in the army will tell me off, but a lot of half-naked dudes slapping each other on the back and, and hugging and dancing and... In the American one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretend bumming and, uh, and <laughs> way too much um, machismo and, and um, masculinity and testosterone and shit flowing through these bases. They're all fucking working out, getting sweaty and buff. And then like rubbing up against each other and shit, yeah, 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 having yeah. little topless wrestling matches and stuff. Dustin, <laughs> the Dutch were too busy looking at porn actually. Yeah, good clean guy on girl porn. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's it's just a bunch of meatheads really. <laughs> yeah. That's the army for you. Moving on. How about meathead that screamed though? Like when one of them gets shot on camera. Well, you don't see the death, but you can see the body. One of the American meatheads loses his shit. Just like he sobs, like wheeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was rugged. His commander soldiers like comes over, like just suck it up. You've got to be tough about it. And he's just, he's just there. He's don't look at the body. Cover the body. Don't look at the body. Move on. He's like, Bleh. and then sob again. <laughs> yeah, oh, poor bastard. Yeah, that was that was rugged, man. That's how I'd react when a bullet went past my head. Literally, <laughs> yeah, I I'd be sobbing and breaking down. Like, they wouldn't, I wouldn't need to see my dude get shot in the face. Like, you'd think all the training and boot camp, everything he's done, if you'd known this is where you're going, you would have had this in mind, this is going to happen. If that meathead wasn't... I keep calling him meathead. If that grunt wasn't... Um, PFC? <laughs> if he wasn't prepared, oh, I'd hate to think how I'd be. And, like, yeah, everyone else was just like, okay, this guy's dead, that sucks. Now, what? what's next? <clears throat> yeah. Sort of thing. Let's, yeah. let's find the dudes that shot him and make him pay. Yeah. There was one scene I didn't really get. There was a dude, like, sitting out in the open in front of, like, a giant box pair of binoculars. Oh, yeah. What was it? I figured that must have just been a really good viewfinder with heat imaging and all, all that sort of shit. He's massive, though. Yeah, but, like... He was behind nothing. Everyone else was behind sandbags, <laughs> looking down their barrel, uh, their rifles, scopes, and this dude's like sitting out in the open and behind a large TV. Like, shoot him! He's clearly in charge. <laughs> I don't think the Afghanis were much of a shot, really. Um, but it was <laughs> yeah, good. Like at one, at one stage in the American one, they got um, a strip, eh? Yeah, exactly. At one stage in the US one, like they go on a patrol, waste a house. The cameras are walking through the house, and there's like collapsed ceilings. Walls exploded, there's a bunk, it looks like a child's room, there's a girl lying on the ground covered in dust and a bit of blood on her. The camera goes outside and it shows like five dead Afghanis with blankets on them and they speak to like a village elder and he's like, oh, you come here and you kill the, the Taliban, get away and you, you kill my boys and you kill my family, you destroy my house. And then like another 10 seconds later and a, like a soldier comes out of the basement with like a arm full of Taliban weapons. Oh, okay, here's some RPGs, here's some bazookas, here's some rifles. Yeah, they don't cut back to what the elders got to say. That was, yeah. that was the documentary makers making a point. <laughs> yes, some people die, but they also know what they're doing. Like, they have drones in the sky 24-7. They're listening to the Taliban's radios. Like, when the U.S. are about to be under attack, they get warning first. We just hit on the radio, they're about to shoot you. Like, they know exactly who's who. They've, they've got their whole situation under control. It you see, like I'd be that. That's another thing. If I was there, I'd be the guy believing everyone. If they're like, no, look, we're not Taliban, and you just killed my fucking daughter. You're the bad guy. I'd be like, oh, fuck, so sorry. Whereas those guys were able to go, okay, but let's just have a look around. Oh, yeah, what do you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got fucking yeah. massive rockets in your face. Exactly. You might want to stand there and light up my face, but we've had a camera on you from space for the last four days, <laughs> and we saw them walk up here, we saw you feed them, we saw them firing at us, and that's why we blew up your lounge. <laughs> yeah. So you can get fucked. Uh, <laughs> It's not World War Two. We know all, everything was going on, yeah. The firepower is ridiculous, though. Like, when it got too bad, they're just like, okay, call in the birds and just explode that hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that guy. That guy, just one thing, but you just, when you said the bird, that guy 
when he said that. Oh, I remember when we first jumped off the bird and we ran up to the hooch or something. I was like, is he going to talk in slang the whole time? No, I did like that. I, did like I that. thought hooch was alcohol of some sort. Yeah, I've heard that before <laughs> in, in war films. Actually, that reminded me also in the armadillo, one of the Dutch soldiers who got shot and was like flown quickly back to the hospital was like, I knew we were going to be fine because the helicopter was flying and like it. And he uses his hands to show like basically straight up. Mm-hmm. And that, that simple sentence to me was like, yeah, a helicopter can fly flat when it's having a cruise, but when it wants to really haul ass, it tips itself up and just races. Mm. And that soldier appreciated it. I was wounded, so they put the foot down for me. <laughs> yeah. I knew I was going to be fine because the helicopter was flying fucking sideways. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It really <laughs> simply explained. He moved his hand from like flat to quite steep. Oh, we were going that fast. It <laughs> yeah. was good. You can't see because you're an um, audience, uh, an ear audience. You're listeners my, rather than viewers. Listeners, that's what it is. You're an air audience. <laughs> <laughs> I win. I win. I'm retiring from podcasting forever now. I'm going down a history. Of that I already like you before you said outlash instead of backlash, but I thought that was the best, but no, you just what? No, I'm awesome. <laughs> Fuck it. We also saw cold weather. I tell you, that's your segue. We also saw cold weather. We talked about this enough, actually. We've talked about all these films. Bloody hell, you've been listening to us rant about the World Cinema Showcase for long enough. But this is the Ice Schlecker Schlecker Noir. <laughs> Ice Schlecker Schlecker Noir. I'm, I'm copywriting that phrase. It's the Schlecker, not a stoner comedy, but he doesn't, you know, what's the word for it? Like a, yeah, like a Schlecker dropkick um, mystery novel-esque noir thriller mystery. Don't call it mumblecore. Because nobody knows what that means, but it's got to have a name for it. It's like a new wave of where they make these films without big sets, without big budgets, dialogue-driven. Yeah, it sort of resembles some of the lo-fi Dogma 95 stuff. I thought it looked heaps like Dancer in the Dark, except Dancer in the Dark had handheld cameras. This wasn't. It was all, you know... Yeah, this was filmed nice, actually. Nice, neat pans and stuff. I, I hated, I hated it. The look of it, sorry. No, I was about to say, Jesus, really? It yeah, was awesome. sorry, yeah. I said that wrong. No, I thought this was a really, really ugly film. Yeah. You pay attention to that. I really don't. Yeah, what a good film. Like, brief synopsis, a dude lives with his sister, has his girlfriend, gets a new job, meets a guy. They discuss how he wanted to, he studied criminal forensics and uh, he wants to be the new Sherlock Holmes. And then um, next thing, his mate's being on the door going, uh, our friend's missing. And they try and track her down. And it's, uh, someone described it as like a cat and mouse. You know, it was always like a move and then they do a move and he's following me. No, he's out the window now. And I don't know. It was good. It was really good. Just the right tone, just the right level of um, intrigue into what's going on and, and solving things, buying the room next to the hotel and going back and changing the mind and shit. It was really good. Acting was good uh, by the, the main dude and his co-worker and his sister. I fucking loved it. Top of the fifth so far for me. Easily. Cold weather. Mm. You're not that high? No. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, but it looks like it's going to get a lot of love. It seems like this might be this year's uh, a profit. This is the one that all the right people love it, and I just didn't click with it that much. I had no problems with it, really. Same with Profit. Yeah. It was pretty good, but I thought it had uh, yeah, a lot of reasons why it's not going to be my top, mainly because it was so fucking ugly to look at. Part of the things with films is you have to look at them. <laughs> They're not air audiences. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, it starts off, so we got nearly 20 minutes in, and I was just bored shitless, just like, what the fuck is this? Nothing is happening. And still, like... He goes to dinner with his mum. He drinks wine in the flat with his sister. He goes for a job interview. He's at a bus stop. He goes to her office. They take a drive in the rain. They go to whale watching week, but they just go and have a picnic on his barbecue table under grey clouds. It reminded me of Birdemic, that scene. 
<laughs> yeah, that actually same same location maybe. Yeah. yeah, man. Like nothing's happening, and none of it was needed. Unless the only purpose it served was setting up these guys lead pretty boring lives. That's all I could get from it, and I was like, I I don't need to watch that for twenty minutes. I liked it. Because then when something exciting happened, it was all very no. contrasting to their boring, grey lives. Oh, I thought you had mad love for this, actually. I didn't know we were going to... The wind out of my sails. I thought we were going to have a love fest for this film. I have saved it until last. Let's not no, have just not. have love fest. Oh, no, we disagreed heavily on the way back. But I had nothing bad to say about it. Let's fight about this. No, it's... it's <laughs> Fuck you. Look, Cold Weather is awesome. It's a good... It's a really good film. No, yeah, no, I just didn't know you weren't in love with it. Like yeah. I was. No, not at all. Probably the thing I like most about it was that I haven't really seen a film like this. It's sort of like Brick in the way that it's a small town mystery noir. But they're way so fucking different. Like Brick was very, very stylized, real hip, yeah. good to look at. <laughs> Whereas this was not. This had a, not, a lot of nice natural stuff. Like, see, that's the balance. I don't see why they couldn't. I mean, they didn't get the balance right. Like if they're sitting on a park bench eating a sandwich, that's just boring. Whereas if were they actually giving information in the dialogue, well, remember they're dropping grapes off the roof for fun and watching the grapes splat? Yeah. That's brilliant. If you're passing information to us in these hangout scenes, that's great. It's so natural. It's like, this is this is like real. Yeah. But what about the stakeout? Like, that was quite... It took me 20 minutes of nothing happening for me to get over how fucking ugly it looked. Then it starts getting cool. And when it got cool, it got really cool. There were like two scenes. There were lots of scenes in the ice factory where he works. And at two stages, they show dudes carrying a bunch of spare ice out the back and tipping it down a concrete chute. I totally thought they were going to come into it. They were going to like bury a body under the spare ice or somebody was going to... They just showed it twice for no reason. Yeah, there was a lot of things for no reason. And maybe, I mean, maybe that was defying conventions. Like most other films only put in necessary shit. So you're watching for everything and go, why was that scene there? Huh, that must be... And it just wasn't. And maybe it was doing that on purpose, I don't know. But once again, though, them carrying the ice, when they were discussing Sherlock Holmes and that while moving the ice from one place to another... You enjoyed that? Was, that. that yeah, that was brilliant. They could have been sitting down and that would have been fucking dull. But instead they were working. Yeah, it was, that was quite... I enjoyed that. That was uh, really clever too, I thought. I liked that halfway through the mystery was solved, like the girl turns up. Yeah. But, the, but it's still all on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it all builds to very intense last five minutes which then doesn't it's not intense at all but it's a nice wrapper nice finish mm -hmm. I, I read a review somewhere that was called it like a, a really intense chase scene to finish the film involving one car yeah like, my pick of the seven I've seen quite possibly going to be the number one out of the film and I love that like I read it in the brochure I thought that looks interesting I watched it I was like that is interesting mm. haven't seen a film like it took it all the boxes loved it loved it loved it yay for me for seeing it mm. yeah it's definitely one everyone should see I think it's a, it's a real different style of movie he really tried something fresh and like that ending like that's not really how you're supposed to do it but there was something with the whole realism of the thing maybe you're right maybe it's because they built up all that boring shit at the start that you felt you could relate to these characters it was like us. They weren't excessively rich. They weren't excessively poor. They were just dudes. They could have been our mates. And, you know, they weren't stereotypes. And the two dudes, by the way, that I can't remember his name now, but the sidekick guy, co-worker. DJ, yeah. Was pretty fucking... He was pretty good. Pretty awesome. But they were pretty mismatched. Mm. Which is kind of like real life, I thought. Like, usually you have two dudes cut from the same cloth. Tucker and Dale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this one, it's like, no, this is real. I mean, I've worked in a factory, and you, you hang out with people that aren't like you. I thought that was brilliant. Like, it yeah. really pulled you in. But you felt like 
this is so real and like me and my friends this is what we'd do if we were in the situation yeah 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 there was one scene where he's like he's got nothing to do on a Saturday night so it shows him asleep in his apartment on the couch how many of us have done that like when you've got nothing to do <laughs> but you don't go to sleep in your own bed because that's just lame so instead <laughs> instead you fall asleep on the couch by yourself and he gets woken up at 10 he's like I was sleeping like, <laughs> that was a really simple touch I like that mm. him asleep on the couch that was perfect actually there was a lot of funny scenes too I think that needs to be said as well it's actually kind of a funny film was like at the tobacco shop yeah yeah that was quite good yeah, yeah some real funny stuff in it and um, some good some really subtle comedy in one scene and then cut to like a punchline not related but nicely done like the pipe thing mm -hmm. like coming over for cards like we've invited a bunch of people cut two of them like in the lounge playing <laughs> yeah. and he like he doesn't he, totally relate to he just walks in sit down and goes this is a really nice apartment you want some chips yeah <laughs> what are we playing i'm not showing sure how to play that cut like that you didn't need to see the whole card night it was really well done agreed so um, those are the five we've seen this week at the showcase. It's got two days left, and by the time we release this, it's over. Yeah, true. But it's, it's just started in Wellington, and from Wellington it goes to Dunedin, so that's yes. not bad. I wanted to mention, I didn't just go to the showcase this week, I went to, as I said, what else did a shit this week, ton of films. Oh, a shit <laughs> I went to Rialto to catch up with Oceans, which, um, Corey, you, you saw it last year. Yeah, at the Civic, giant screen, with Sharky, middle of the day. Yeah, so I, I had to go catch up to that, because I'm fucking 10 months behind you or something. <laughs> you can't, can't all be as cutting edge as me, bro. Because I love, much like you, underwater life, like, fucking fascinates me. Like, I don't, not stats and figures and names and numbers and shit, but, like, I like looking at aliens. Yeah. These are real-life aliens. They're yeah. just so fucked up. We went real deep. So you colourful. should see what they do down there. It's radical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say, though, you didn't tell me that it was, not that you had to, but... It wasn't just that. I just wanted to look, but instead they had Piers Brosnan narrating all poetically over the top. There were scenes on beaches with fucking kids and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not manipulative, but it was. It was, man. It was it like was a, lame. It was like a conservationist um, piece as well. Yeah, then like, it goes the into pollution like, yeah. and stuff, and had the fucking sea lion swimming around a shopping trolley and shit, and they're like, you should really save the planet. This movie had a message, and I totally was not expecting it, man. Well, I'd, I'd just watched a bunch of BBC Life docos, and they're, they're all like, David, like, remember Our World? They used to be on the 80s. Mm. Anyway, I can't do the theme song. I'll play the theme song. Do it, bro, do it, do it. <laughs> Drop a bit in there from Equinox Track 4. Um, <laughs> everyone that knows me has heard it enough times. Yeah, you see all these things, they take like, oh, we've got uh, really expensive of cameras we've been out there for three days and there's no message in them none of them ever have a conservation message it's always just like look at nature isn't it beautiful i went to this not only it was like okay here's a bit of nature but we're gonna fucking bombard you with a message i remember thinking at the time i should have bought my ipod so i could just like and it did cover it wasn't the deepest opens it was showing whales it was showing all sorts of shit i remember leaving thinking that wasn't as good as one of the one hour high def bbc life things you can just download oh right See, I've, I haven't seen those. So I have seen a few on DVDs before. Like, the, there's been a, a Deep Blue or something. There was, there's been a couple before. Yeah. And I love them. But I just can't see why it's not more like... Did you ever see Baraka? Baraka? Mm. What's that one? It's pictures and it goes from, like, these monkeys out in the fucking mountain somewhere, like, bathing in a little spa thing. And then, it, like, it slowly just goes through different parts of nature and shit. But it goes in through cities. You see fucking Indian dudes cremating people. And then you're in, like, Tokyo cigarette factories. And, but it's all, like, beautiful cinematography. of. But it goes from nature into the thing. Anyway, it's pictures with music. Oh, yeah. Why couldn't it have been that? Why did we need Piers Brosnan telling us... The mighty blue whale. Oh, but it's, it was gayer. It was like, I wish I had it on me, but it was. he said something like, and it's the end of another of Earth's days, 
and Mother Ocean is putting the moon to bed or something. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I don't think he wrote any of that. They're totally narrated only. But they shouldn't even have a narrator, bro. They should have had it, because none of it was insightful, really. They should have had, like, I don't know, like a Pink Floyd soundtrack or some shit. Why? It, didn't it start on that kid at the beach and then finish on him? Like, Yeah. It was like a little boy wondering, what is the ocean? What will the future bring? And then we go into the doco, and then at the end it comes back to him, and he's learned a lesson that he should protect his planet or something. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Anyway, I totally wasn't expecting it. Uh, But yeah, it was still beautiful to watch, man. There was still an hour's worth of amazing footage and shit. Like, I fucking love that stuff. Yeah. But fuck off, Piers Brosnan. I'm with you. So, fucking source code. It was my top ten of the year before I knew anything about it. If you haven't seen Moon, done by Duncan Jones, he's the director, starring Sam Rockwell and Kevin Spacey as the computer voice. Now, Duncan Jones, just a name drop, is Zoe Bowie, David Bowie's son. What a fucking family. Anyway, he did some music videos, then his directorial debut was Moon. See it now, see it, rent it, buy it, whatever. Incredible. And this is his follow-up. A bigger budget it looked like. The actor? Jake Gyllenhaal. And the chick? No idea. It doesn't matter. Jake Gyllenhaal, he can only get eight minutes on the train. I'm not going to run a few. Exceeded all expectations. Incredible. Awesome. Loved it. Yeah, My we'll, kind of film to a fucking T. We will talk about it. Um, I didn't get to go to this media screen. I'm watching but, it again. Um, so yeah. It's out in like three weeks, so I'll watch it with you, yeah. and then we'll talk about it properly. Today. Oh my God. Top ten. This is fucking beautiful. Beautiful. Because you know I'm kind of... I don't give a shit. I'm not looking forward to it. Doesn't so. matter. Doesn't matter. Loved it. Yeah, will it matter for me, do you think? I don't care. Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> um... No, will it be your thing? Because I did love Moon, so I'm real keen to see what Duncan Jones is going to do. Yeah, it was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. Like, if I had to cross it between the two, I'd say it's like 12 monkeys combined with Deja Vu combined with awesome. Awesome. It was awesome. Jeffrey Wright's awesome. The chickies on the train with is awesome. All the weird little sub-characters in the train are awesome. Twists and turns and thoughts and, and Jeffrey Wright, I mentioned, was in it. <laughs> Fucking incredible. He's my new favourite director. No. He's my favourite new director. Mm. It's called Tarantino. You're still in there. <laughs> yeah, he's my favourite new director. Oh, cool. Easily. Easily, easily. Source code. Source code, source code, source code. I think I've got my point across. Right. The other thing I wanted to mention source was, code. Um, Sorry. was Frankenstein. It's a stage play directed by Danny Boyle, and they've filmed it. It's supposed to go out live. Like, it starts... I was, I was going to tell you, actually. They had... Um, it's real weird. I was sitting next to this family. It was, a, it was like a mother and father. would have been, you know, 60-something. And the daughter was like my age and they were sitting there the ads come up but they're silent the curtains open they flick the music off you know the music that they're playing yeah spice girls what are fucking spice girls everywhere at the moment the, but the ads are silent and they're cards they're pictures what, oh, do, you, what yeah. do you call those like stills not. yeah and we're looking at these silent things they, they go for six minutes and then looped they started again and this family next to me is going i i think someone's supposed to push play they should i think someone needs to click something <laughs> and then the sound did start but it was an audience. You could hear an audience. Like sitting in their seats and jostling there. Rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Nice. <laughs> yeah. nice. So we go through another loop of these fucking stills. Yeah. And we're seeing these same ads like three times now. Like ads for shit in NZ? Like. Sorry, I forgot to say. This is under the National Theatre Live thing. So it's supposed to be a, a live thing. It's presented by this company. I can't even remember. I saw the ads three times and I've already forgotten who they were. But it was sort of them. ads for them. <laughs> yeah. And other shit they're doing. Stuff that's coming up. You know, a new fucking Shakespeare thing they're doing and shit like that. 
Yeah. It just steals once again. Then when it did come up with a picture, we were looking at an audience in a play, and then it pans across to this lady, and she's talking to us and going, welcome, this is live, you know, I'm glad you could be here, um, they're still sitting up, it's going to be another couple of minutes, or, or something like that, and telling us a little bit about the production. And you think, is this live? Maybe no one's supposed to click anything, like we're waiting for the feed to come in. Or weird, that would be but weird. I found out afterwards, I wikied it, and it was actually recorded like three weeks ago, so it was, um, that was interesting. But then she's but it's like... But just like, we, we didn't edit this. Well, yeah. did edit it, because there's multiple camera angles, you reckon. Yeah the, yeah, the play was. But then she's like, so there's still going to be another few minutes, so... Um, in the meantime, and she played us a making of, a 10 minute making of. They're not actually still going to be ready. They totally could have cut that out. They were ready three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And then so we watched this making of, which was really cool because Danny Boyle was quite animated and that was cool. And then so eventually the play starts and it was fucking awesome, bro. It was really, really cool. And the stage is just transforming. It's fucking, it's just a big circular stage. And like all of a sudden there are, there are train tracks and real grass comes through and stuff. Then it's raining and it's fucking snowing. Then the whole platform twists around and you're fucking inside a mansion. And then like walls are coming down and you're in a, a Scottish rock cabin and you're just like. Oh, so like for, for people that may not be down with it, take your high school play, replace all your high school friends with really good stage actors. Take the third form drama teacher and replace her with. Danny Boyle, <laughs> then throw a fucking budget at it like a Hollywood film so you can have all the set changes and stages and, and lighting and effects you need. Then film it like your Scorsese film in a rock concert with cameras and angles and edits everywhere. Yeah. And then show it to Nigel. Yeah. Did you, we mention before that the dude that plays the monster, Frankenstein's monster, and the dude that plays Dr. Frankenstein swap nightly yeah. their roles. Yeah. So on a Monday, I'm the Frankenstein's creature. Tuesday, I'm Frankenstein. Wednesday on the creature, <laughs> yeah. Thursday on Frankenstein. It's buzzy. And these performances are so big. The Frankenstein character is so... I mean, I think you might not like it if you were to see it. The performance was so fucking huge, like, exaggerated this monster. Now I'm dying to see the other version. And I read up the two that got recorded were um, recorded the same day. Oh, really? One like was an afternoon, and, fucking... yeah, and one was at night time. Right. And they had to swap roles. So I'm absolutely dying to see the second version. I think I'll go watch the second version with you, just mm. so I can appreciate it, because it sounds awesome. I, I will enjoy it. Go You'll be it. loving the shit. It's a good story anyway, Mary Shelley, and they stick yeah, quite yeah, close yeah. to the book, except they took out heaps of deaths for some reason. I'm mm. not sure why. You'll watch the set changing. And oh, right, You'll love yeah, the mechanics yeah. of it. I was watching the mechanics, just going, oh, I really love this. Thanks to the fucking train coming out on tracks and shit, and you saw Oh, how'd they do that? Yeah, man, that sounds really awesome. I will watch that. Frankenstein. Yeah, man, so what else have you seen at the fest this week? Okay, just to get a skite out of the way. Here we go. Rapid fire. Go. Film Society, Story of Woman, Old Isabel, Hoopier, uh, movie, part of that series. Awesome. Rio, a kid's cartoon. You thought it looked fucking stupid. Actually, not too bad. Jesse Eisenberg versus Jermaine Clement. Pretty good. Mammoth. Michelle Williams, Gail Garcia Bernal. Relationship troubles. He's overseas, internet mogul. She's a surgeon struggling with life. Yeah, keep going. Harry Nilsson, doco about Harry Nilsson. I'm now a fan of his lime in the coconut guy. He's done so much more than I thought. Oh, actually, the full name's like, who is Harry Nilsson and why is everybody talking about him? Everybody's talking. Oh, yeah, I do like that song. Everybody's talking that. Yeah, mm. I like that song. Maybe uh, a compilation when, once you um, download a bunch then, eh? Yeah, yeah, will do. He's really good. Lemmy, which is the same thing, another biopic about... Motorhead Man. Motorhead Man. 
Uh, fuck, he knew everyone, bro. So did they follow him for three years or something? Yeah, it could have been. They do follow him on a tour. He goes right through Germany and everything. Um, heaps of stuff at home with his family. That was pretty cool too. William S. Burroughs, another biopic documentary. Uh, this one about the, the guy who wrote Naked Lunch shot his wife in the head by accident. Should probably ask him for it. <laughs> yeah, probably was. That was pretty cool too. And the classic one was Streetcar Named Desire, which is Marlon Brando, sweaty, hot, fucking arguing with Blanche. Blanche Dubois. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Fucking awesome yet again. There you go, man. That's like, I saw that was 14 qu- films this week. That was quite the sky. You're actually the only person I could do a podcast with that would make me look like I don't watch many films. <laughs> Corey only saw five films this week. <laughs> yeah. What a loser. Well, six, bro. Six, sorry. <laughs> Maths has never been here. But this week... Yeah, what is coming up? I'll have a few more. We'll showcase Sagan, Sagan with fuck Uncle Boon Me, recalls his past lives. Top 10 of yours, We Are What We Are, the um, Mexican Cannibals. And Smash's Camera, the paparazzi documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Also with Marlon Brando, I understand. And then uh, the multiplexes, we've got Sucker Punch. Zack Snyder's. Um, I've heard the internet say things like, Zack Snyder doesn't make film for girls. This is misogynist and... um, Yeah, that's right, it is. He's not (laughs) making mistakes about it. If you didn't pay attention during 300 and you're not sure what sort of films he makes, keep your complaints to yourself. Like, are you (laughs) fucking retarded? Zack Snyder we're talking about. No apologies. Mm, I'm looking forward to it. I reckon it's going to be a bit of a headache and it's going to be dopey as fuck, but fun. This is going to I be don't fun. know, man. One of the characters is called Baby Doll. Like, there's, <laughs> there's going to be some seriousness. Yeah, cool no, exactly. It'll be fun. And I'm keen on Paul, which is the new one by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. I think they wrote it, so I'm pretty damn keen. And the supporting cast is like, well, Seth Rogen plays the voice of the alien. And then you've got Jason Bateman. Oh, Bateman's in it. Nice. He's the FBI agent tracing them or something. Look, Everyone's I'm, in it. I'm going to watch this. The we trailer all, looks fucking awful. We all know I've got some... Oh, I haven't watched it. We all know I'm biased towards comedies, but Nick and Simon will, will get me into it. Yeah. I trust them. Hot Fuzzer didn't enjoy that much, but um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. What else is there? So another year, the really good-looking British... What do you call it? Like a slice-of-life film or a bloody... Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about it. Trailer looked good, though. Mm. Got my attention. Jim Broadbent and... Yeah, exactly. And um, Arthur, which is... Yeah, these two are coming out this week, Thursday. Arthur is a remake of the old Dudley Moore thing. Did you ever see the Dudley Moore thing? No, I didn't. Oh, there's, I saw that and the sequel, and they were pretty popular. They, I enjoyed that in the 80s. Arthur on the Rocks. <laughs> yeah, like it was. Arthur 2 on the Rocks. Hey, brother, can you spare me a billion dollars or something? I believe was the title. In Wanganui, actually, we had a video library, DJ's video library, that had big signs, big movies on the side. And they, it was one of those situations where you paint a building and decide to put murals of films up, and they stay there for 15 years. Yeah. So it was like Pretty Woman, Twins, Arthur, Ghostbusters. It's like... These films stick in my head just because I drove <laughs> past them for a decade and a half. Yeah, cracker. <laughs> Russell Brand, not Bland, don't be mean. He's in the new one with Dame Helen. Yeah, Dame Helen as the. Um, and then the, the following actor. month is the Tempest, the new version of the Tempest, which looks fucking awesome. That that trailer looks really good with Russell Brand and Dame Helen. Wow. Uh, yeah. They're probably having an affair. I think that's what's <laughs> going on there. He's fucking the Queen. Drop us the Academy's repertory screen. Yeah, I haven't got the new calendar. I'm not sure the calendar's out yet, but I know that this week, school holidays apparently. So they're playing yeah, it is. for Lisa's the kids, Toy Story 3 and Wizard of Oz each day. So I love both those films. So I might catch up with them on the big screen, maybe, at Academy. Yeah, Wizard of Oz is pretty special. I've got the nice Chris DVD of that one. But Toy Story 3, you've fucking loved that since, yeah. since Dot. I saw it three times on the big screen and then it went away. Now it's back. Nice. Should I do it again? Why not? Uh, on the next episode, we'll be talking about Paul and Sucker Punch, plus the last few showcase ones, probably the Mexican Cannibal one, We Are What We Are. Yeah. 
and I'll have a few more to skite about probably. You probably will. You'll be able to sneak a few in there. Shit, that's it, man. That's episode nine. Here we go. I'm Corey. Yeah. Get out the way. Nicely done there, bro. Catch you later, audience. Deal. Yeah.